When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Talk Radio. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and the Times. Know your times. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you very much indeed for your company right now. Delighted to welcome the Foreign Secretary, Dominic Raab, to the show. Good morning to you. Good morning. Um, we had the statement from the Prime Minister last night. We've got a lot more detail coming out today, but could you help people listening right now? Who should and who should not be going out to work today? So as of Wednesday, some modest changes will be introduced. The full guidance will be set out today and over the, uh, and on Tuesday. But effectively what we're saying is if you can work from home, you should continue to do so. If you can't, then you should now go back to work because in those vital sectors like construction and manufacturing, that can be done in a COVID-secure way. And we're working very carefully with all of the employees in those sectors to make sure that uh, it can be done in a way which protects health but also protects livelihoods and allows people's way of life to get back to something resembling normal. Has anything actually changed in that guidance, though? Because it seems to me the guidance from word go in the lockdown was if you can work from home, please do so. And you're entitled to hear a list of essential workers who couldn't you know, pretty much go out when they want. But, but otherwise, people were supposed to continue to work. And one of the issues has been that the lockdown of the economy has been far greater than the government predicted. Well, certainly in relation to the construction manufacturing sector, I think that's right. So this is a change of emphasis. We're saying if you can't um, work from home, then you should now. You're actively encouraged to go back to work. But you're right. The changes that will be introduced from Wednesday are being modest. And what we set out is a broader uh, roadmap with different changes made at the earliest from the 1st of June and then uh, the, the following stage or step at the uh, 4th of July at the earliest, subject to conditions. Why? Because we want to, uh, at all times, prioritise preserving and protecting people's health, but we also want to preserve uh, and protect safeguard livelihoods. So this is being done, you're right, in a, uh, an incremental way. We're proceeding carefully on Wednesday and we're setting out the roadmap for the future so people know what we're aiming for and there's a bit of hope and light at the end of the Tunnel. Okay, there's been lots of concern, particularly by a London-centric media, about people travelling on public transport. The vast majority of people in this country uh, use a car or, or walk to work. Um, however, an awful lot of people who work in this country have also got children at school, young children at primary school age. They can't leave on their own. How on earth are people expected to go back to work if the schools aren't open? Look, we totally recognise that and uh, we want to make sure that when we open schools, it is done in a very carefully conditioned way with proper controls and proper guidance so it's COVID secure. We're, 
the, the rate of infection and the rate of um, affliction, if you put it that, that way, uh, amongst young children is, is very low. What we're worried about is the, the risk that they would then take it back home or, or, or share it and other children will take it back home. So what we're saying is that from the 1st of June at the earliest, we would work with schools to make sure that we could bring back the uh, primary school children uh, in reception years one, year six, at first, our aim would be to get all children in primary schools back within a month uh, of the, with, with a month of the summer term left to go. Um, but that will have to be on the phased, controlled, and conditioned way. We're also saying in relation to secondary school pupils that will students that will face exams next year, we want them to have some time with their teachers. And um, so that will not begin from the earliest. Uh, the 1st of June and it will be done in a very carefully conditioned way to make sure that schools can prepare and that we've got the virus down so that we're not taking any risks with public health. But I mean, look, I'm sure you've been in enough primary school classrooms as an MP and as, and as a father. I mean, it's one thing having a couple of years of primary school back and being able to spread them out over different classrooms and perhaps they're not going to have lessons all day and, and, and it's all a bit truncated. But once you have all the children in a primary school back, a lot of those classrooms already overstretched, uh, packed in, children very, very close to each other. How on earth can you maintain social distancing between six-year-olds in a clouded classroom? Well, that's exactly why we said that we wouldn't introduce these changes uh, until at the earliest, the 1st of June. Key no, but whether you know. do it on the 1st of June or you did it today, the classrooms are the same size as they were last, last week. They're not going sorry. to get any bigger and the same number sorry, of children aren't going to be sorry. able to space out, are they? Uh, sorry, no, that, that's not right. Let me, let me explain it clearly and then you can come back and pick up on anything you think I've missed. So first of all, if you only do it to, to begin with for the years that I mentioned, you've got the wider classroom space in the rest of the school that you can use to make sure it can be done in a, 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 a with, with a measure of social distancing you also allow us time to get the virus back down even lower so that as we said that risk of transmission via younger children because we're less worried about them becoming ill and more worried about them transmitting it uh, we know a bit more about that and we've got the virus down to lower levels and that's precisely why we've said um, we can't proceed until the first of june and we would only proceed in a phased way from that point and look if it isn't safe to do it if it can't be done in a way which is responsible we won't do it um, but we also know i'm sure uh, many journalists are asking uh, th this question uh, and you, you you posed it yourself in relation to childcare. people want to see uh, at least a roadmap some light at the end of the tunnel and that's what we're setting out with all the detailed guidance and all the qualifications and the conditions to make sure we would only act at every step along the way in a responsible way OK, and obviously there's lots of concern about Germany's R number, their rate of infection number going up in some uh, regions. South Korea again having another outbreak after someone went on a pub crawl, it would appear. Um, there is a concern that we, we, we can start these tentative steps out of lockdown, but we'll be heading straight back into lockdown in a matter of weeks if the R number goes up. Is that what the, the warning system, these you know, red to green warning alert system is for? Is that actually we're going to be, it's not going to be a straight route in one direction. It's going to be a few steps forward, a few steps back at a time. Well, it could do, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I spoke to my German uh, counterpart last night, and one of the things we're doing is learning from what's going on in Germany and what's going on in South Korea. And precisely because they've taken some of those measures earlier than us, we can monitor very carefully not just what's happening here, but what's happening there. So you're absolutely right to say that every step along the way, uh, in the steps we take on Wednesday, the steps we take from the 1st of June, and then subsequently from the 4th of July, we will only proceed where subject to that alert system that you, you mentioned, we're confident that we've got a grip on the virus and the measures are in place to allow us to proceed in a safe and secure and responsible way. 
Okay. Let's talk about though where people can visit their families. That's one of the first questions people were asking last night. Um, a lot of people are confused by the fact that they can, you know, get on public transport if they need to. They can go into their workplace if if that's allowed. Um, they can go and sit in a park and sunbathe all day, or they can go outside and exercise all day. But they're not allowed to visit with their family members. What are we allowed to do with our family members who aren't in the same household as us, particularly perhaps elderly uh, relatives, grandparents, and the like? So you'd be able to go to the park, for example, to see a grandparent with your family. And as long as you stay two metres apart. So that's why we're saying as we take these changes, stay alert, because we need to control the virus to protect um, lives. But also as we get uh, life returning to something resembling normal. And of course, the risk within homes is that you just get the um, uh, the it becomes uncontrollable. It becomes unmanageable. Uh, it would be very difficult to enforce. And um, what we've done is we've asked in relation to the so-called um, uh, contact between different people from different households in the home, we've asked SAGE to look at uh, and, and advise us in the future on whether and how that could be done in a safe way. But we've got no current plans to introducing it because we just don't see how that particular step could be done in a safe way. But the good news is that those people can go out for exercise and into the parks uh, for more than just the one hour's exercise once a day. There will be scope to say that as long as you're socially distanced, you can have contact with... Um, one or other uh, people that you wouldn't okay. have done beforehand. Uh, but again, why, why does it have to be a park? What, what, there'll be lots of people right now thinking, well, can I go and visit an elderly relative or a grandparent? I mean, I, for instance, I'd have to drive two and a half hours across the country. I could go and sit in my mum's front garden. I could be sitting five metres away from her, not just two metres away from her, but I could spend the day with her. I could take my husband and daughter. We'd be nowhere near her. We'd be at no. We'd be giving no greater risk to her, to us, to anyone else if we're sitting in her front garden than if we are in a park just one-on-one would we in which case why is that still banned because in general terms if we introduce that measure it will be very difficult to enforce monitor and what you'd risk is lots of people going into each other's homes mixing for barbecues not uh, staying two meters apart and that would be a real risk of the transmission of the virus going starting to go back up again and above all we want to avoid a second spike in the virus so we've asked the scientists to, to look at this and to see whether at some point in the future it could be done in a safe way but at this point in time we're not confident that it could be and so we can't take that particular step um, and as we said all along we need to make sure that as we move out of this current phase of the most stringent measures into the next phase that we're alert and we maintain the social distancing it doesn't seem to us that we could reliably and confidently do that in relation to encouraging or allowing uh, people from within different homes to mix at this stage Okay, we understand your colleague, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor, is going to announce the furlough scheme is going to be extended uh, to the end of September, though at a reduced rate, 60% of pay, not uh, 80% with a lower threshold. Um, the reality here, though, isn't it? A lot of people might be fearful of going back to work. A lot of people may be very critical of people being allowed back to work. But we can't afford for people not to be going back to work. The furlough scheme is untenable to continue as it is. I think you're right that we've, of course, our overriding priority is protect people's health and, and uh, uh, protect lives. Um, so that's the number one thing that's guiding us. But we do need to transition and allow the productive bits of the economy to get back functioning. And we need to do that not just for livelihoods, but also because we need the resources to pay for the NHS and uh, to deal with COVID, but also the non-COVID uh, issues. So we're doing this very carefully and 
deliberately. We're saying in relation to those that can't work from home, in relation to construction and manufacturing and sectors like that, that from Wednesday they can go back. And from the 1st of June at the earliest, we'll look at opening up non-essential retail in a phased way, but again, under con- conditions and un- under monitoring, to make sure we don't let the virus back in by the back door and to see it go up again. But you're right, we need to protect health, uh, we need to protect lives, but we also need to protect livelihoods and preserve as best we can our way of life. Okay, just finally, you say don't let virus in by the back door. Lots of people wondering why in a few weeks' time you're going to bring in quarantine for two weeks for people coming into this country, although apparently not from France, and France likewise not doing it to us, and not from Ireland as well. Uh, Why would we be quarantining people in the coming weeks who come into this country, and we've not been quarantining them uh, all this time since January when we were basically flying the virus in, not just from Wuhan, but from Italy and Spain and elsewhere? Well, that latter characterisation is not correct. The reality is when the level of the virus was high in the UK because it was already here, it was above the R1 level of transmission, um, it made negligible difference to introduce border restrictions. Frankly, most uh, uh, travel had dried up anyway, but the extra impact of people coming into the country was negligible. That was the scientific and medical advice. But because, precisely because the country's done a heroic job in getting the level of the virus and its transmission rate down uh, to, to lower levels, We've now got the, and we move, as we move to the second phase, what we want to avoid is any risk that the virus comes in uh, unwittingly by people carrying it from abroad who maybe don't have symptoms but pass it on. And then we see a revival, a, a second spike in the virus. So with all these things, you've got to take the right measures at the right time. But until we had the virus level down to the lower levels that we do now, it wasn't a smart move to take. Because the virus and the infection rate is down now to the level that it is, this is the right moment over the, the coming weeks with exception and with some flexibility to keep freight and to keep goods flowing to be able to introduce that measure. And really, it's an extra mitigation and it avoids, um, as I said, any, any further risk of a revival or resurgence in the virus. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. From Wednesday, there are no restrictions on outside exercise time, uh, but also you can sunbathe in the park. You can also travel to beaches and parks, but only with your own household, and those fines go up. From 1st of June, we're looking at a phased reopening of primary schools and shops. Possibly from July, some uh, hospitality industry reopening. That's cafes, restaurants, and who knows, maybe even pubs. Let's discuss all of that now with the Conservative MP, former Brexit Secretary David Davis. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you co-authored an article in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday uh, with, with the headline, Was Lockdown Based on Crude Guesswork? And your concern is that uh, we shouldn't have been in the sort of lockdown we're already in already, let alone be staying in it for so long. Well, my concern is we don't know. That's trouble. I mean, the, uh, the, the article basically said that some of the big numbers being bandied around, supposedly on the quotes science, um, are based on basically black boxes and the people don't really understand what the what the numbers going to be look, look you, like. You mean, you mean the Imperial College prediction of 500,000 deaths or a quarter of a million deaths? Then, then 20,000. I mean, <laughs> um, that might have given you a clue. The fact it changed so quickly. The, uh, they historically have overestimated the mortality rates uh, in all sorts of things, swine flu, um, uh, mad cow disease, all those sorts of things, they, they, they very, very heavily, at least by a factor of 15, overestimated the death rate. So uh, I'm worried that the, that the basic science is, uh, is wrong. And, and this and, is worried because we're constantly told, aren't we, look, the government has said we're following, we're listening to the scientists, we're listening to the, the medical experts, and we see you know, Professor Chris Whitty and Sir Patrick Vance standing uh, by whichever cabinet minister is taking that press conference by their side and, and say, look, this is what the experts are telling us. But as you say, a lot of this evidence was coming from, and not, it's not just Imperial College, led by Professor Neil Ferguson, no. of course, who's now out of stage, but, but a whole raft of scientists. But an awful lot of the, the move towards lockdown, what, and this very strict lockdown, was was based on what Imperial College has predicted. And as you say, looking at all of their previous predictions, they have been out, you know, again, not by 10,000, but out by a factor of hundreds and hundreds of thousands, sometimes in the yeah. case, some cases, out by millions, which raises so concerns that the, the data they're yeah. using and the, the model they're using isn't actually correct, in which case we've completely locked down our economy and, and, and based on a falsehood. Yeah, I think, I think there's certainly a, a high risk of that. And the other thing to, to talk about, to just about uh, with respect to science, I mean, very, very few politicians are scientists. And they tend to have the view, well, you know, science is black and white. Science is clear cut. You know, they remember their GCSEs or some of them, their O-levels, you know, their physics and their chemistry, the very clear cut formulae, black and white formulae, based, of course, on hundreds of years of data. The science we're talking about here is cutting edge and it's disputed and it's controversial. So, you know, you, the group, who basically um, uh, advise the government. Uh, the majority of SAGE, not all of them, uh, uh, think that uh, uh, Ferguson's model is right. But quite a lot of people think it isn't. And the, the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine in, uh, in Oxford, the director of that, thinks we shouldn't be in lockdown at all. So, so you've got this range of people. Now, from the government's point of view, it's faced with two completely different views. It has to go with the one which is the official view. Uh, and it also, of course, is going on the precautionary principle. It's going safety first, or as it sees it to be safety first. Uh, and also, it's not helped by the fact that nearly every other country, well, every other country in Europe except Sweden, is doing exactly the same thing. So that's why they're going down that route. Now, if you're going to go down the route, my concern, and I, by the way, I thought what Boris said yesterday was pretty clear. You know, um, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think in a 15-minute speech you're going to get all the details. That's in the 50-page document that's coming today. 
but it's pretty clear what he's been saying. My concern is he's based it. He's now basing the the criteria primarily. And you might ask Dominic Raab this because he started with the five the five um, tests on the infection rate. Now the infection rate is an average. Believe it or not, in the last week the infection rate went up in the middle of lockdown. Why did that happen? That happened because in the community it was going down, but in care homes it was going up. And we have got a general purpose lockdown right across the country, pretty much on everybody, uh, for a problem which is confined, essentially not confined to, but worst in care homes and hospitals where the, the biggest infections are. And my view is that actually I would have liked, I mean, all right, we, we'll live with what the government's given us, but uh, I would have liked to, to focus more on the real centres of infection, protecting the people in care homes, that's, that's where the big death rates are now, uh, and a little bit more relaxation for, for workers. Well, we've seen some of that, actually, uh, but also for families. What was missing last night was anything about whether or not grandparents can go and see grandkids, whether um, uh, people can go and visit their elderly, lonely, disabled relative, uh, whether uh, homes where perhaps there's uh, distress from domestic violence or, or, or other pressures can relax a bit more. Those are the sorts of problems I would have liked to have seen. And, and we didn't hear them. Well, I haven't yet read mm. the 50-page document. But that's no, but there, there will be more detail. And from what I can understand from, from what Dominic Robb has been saying this morning, we're going to cl- get clarity from him hopefully in the next 15 minutes when we speak to him, is that, yeah, well, you right. can, can you go and you know drive and visit an elderly relative? Uh, you know, one-on-one you can, but you can't meet up in their property. You can't meet up in their garden. You'd have to do it in the park. You'd have to do it, do it uh, elsewhere. But again, I, I have a funny feeling a lot of people may choose to be ignoring that. And that's perhaps... Perhaps one of the issues that has driven this well, route out of lockdown. Um, but but can I but can I ask you, David? The, yeah. the, the the reality is, according to the polls, the vast majority of people in this country support the lockdown. They support what the government's doing. That it's over fifty percent support. But but they're also they're afraid of coming out of lockdown. Some ten percent of people want the lockdown to end now. It's very difficult for any government to please everyone at that point. But the reality is, a lot of the reason why people want the lockdown to continue is because they've been told, you know, if the lockdown doesn't continue, you know, basically we're all going to die. There is now a need, is there not, for perhaps the government to, which is obviously what they're trying to do, to relax those feelings of fear and put people back into control in terms of their use of social distancing to get the economy back on track. Because the reality is the government didn't expect this many people to stay at home. They didn't expect it to last this long. And now they're struggling to get people back out of their homes. A lot of people who seem to think that we can just do this indefinitely and a vaccine is going to be here sometime in September. That realistically isn't going to happen. We can't stay. I mean, for the the best one in the world, we can't stay in lockdown forever, economically or health-wise. Um, do you think that's actually a very difficult message that the government's going to have to get out, that we are going to have to take some risks? Yeah, well, there's no way around uh, taking some risks. Uh, uh, even even countries which have really been brilliant at this, which none of the Western countries virtually have, but, but the, the, the countries like Hong Kong and Singapore, they've had... Uh, a resurrected risk when people have come home from abroad. You know, so so that there are risks to come. And actually, the biggest risk that worries me is that is not this summer; it's next winter, because these cold and flu-like diseases very often thrive in the winter when vitamin D levels are lower and immunity levels are lower and so on. So, so there are going to be risks. The other thing I'd like to see, frankly, is them being much, much more open about the advice they get then we would know that not every scientist thinks the same thing. Then we would hear the argument. You know, when, when you're a minister, 
one of the things you want to hear is different views. You ask your civil servants and your advisors, well, what's your view? What's your view? Because the very clash of argument, if you like, tells you more about the risks associated with what you're doing. And by the way, you're right about the country being frightened. We are very, very surprisingly, we're, we're amongst the most anxious in the world. Uh, about this issue, which is very unusual for Britain. Britain's not a very anxious country, generally. And, of course, that, that comes down to uh, what the government has briefed, what the government has said. Now, fair enough, it's their duty, to, the government's duty to, to make the points about what the risks are. But I think we want to be a bit more open about hearing what the real science is, where it comes from, hear the challenges, hear the disagreements, because that would inform us all better, um, and, we'd, and we'd, we'd probably actually comply more. The worst outcome, by the way, the worst outcome of all of this would be if the government passed the rules, but people start, uh, uh, started to disobey them, started to yeah. go their own route. Because then you don't actually know what's happening. Then you don't, you know, you've got no control. Your control is gone at that point. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. One of the uh, issues that was raised by the Prime Minister last night was the phased reopening of some of our schools, in particular primary schools. First up, year six, the final year of primary school, and also hopeful that before the end of this school year, we will see those people who are taking GCSEs and A-levels next year uh, being able to get some time back in the classroom. Well, let's talk to Jerry Glazier about this. He's executive member of the National Education Union and is a teacher himself. Good morning to you, Jerry. Good morning, Julia. Um, obviously, a lot of people who want to go back to work can't go back to work unless their children uh, are actually uh, uh, back in school because uh, you know they simply aren't able to leave the children alone at home if they're not key workers entitled to that. But there are a lot of concerns from teachers. What are the chief concerns for teachers in terms of bringing children back into the classroom? Well, Julia, can I just say right from the beginning that clearly... Teachers want children to be get to come back to to uh, to school, and teachers want to be able to teach those children in school when it's safe to do so. And it's the safety element that concerns us considerably. Um, we've been trying to engage as a union with the government since the first of May to talk about what the conditions might be for schools returning to work, and we've not had any luck at all in having any engagement about what we believe need to be those conditions to ensure the um, safety um, of the kids. What would those conditions and, be? Uh, sorry, so, so I missed that. What, what, what would those conditions be? You say when it's safe to do so. It's never going to be completely safe to do so. There's always going to be, every time you go to the supermarket, it's not 100% safe. So, so what are the conditions that you're looking at and that you want the government to agree to? Right, so we want to ensure that there are lower numbers of infection we want to ensure uh, that there is effective understanding how social or physical distancing can be implemented. We want to ensure that there's appropriate and quick testing for all uh, people involved in schools. And we, we want to ensure that there's proper protection for vulnerable staff. And we've had none of those assurances. Um, I'm really dismayed about how little uh, PPE that's been made available for, each, for those schools which have been working with vulnerable and critical worker children over the last uh, seven weeks. Uh, in, in no stage are we ready uh, uh, from a strategic and logistical point of view to open schools safely. Um, and this is it. obviously it's never as I say never going to be 100 percent safe. Um, but are you saying that you're asking the government for this and they're saying they're just simply not responding, or are you saying that they they haven't been able to give you those assurances yet? Because of course, obviously schools aren't reopening yet, so obviously they wouldn't be able to give those assurances yet. Are you just not getting a response, or are they saying they don't care? 
we're just we're just not getting any access to the government to have consultation. It just simply hasn't happened, and I think that you're not getting any access to the government. So the teaching unions aren't being able to talk to the senior civil servants or the education secretary. That it's it's having access to discuss those issues of of concern that we've got as a union. And I think we need to work together on this. You know, the government, uh, local authorities, schools, teachers, unions. We need to work together. There's an enormous amount of anxiety out there in schools, uh, Julia. Head teachers are very concerned, very anxious. They want to do the right thing. The staff want to do the right thing. But unless the conditions are right, which give people the security and the parents the security, I think one of the uh, significant features of what's happening at the moment is that parents are very, very anxious as well about returning their children to school only when it's safe. And at the moment, they are not convinced it's safe to do so. And from a union perspective, we do not see what the strategies can be put in place to uh, safely ensure the return of children. And for, okay, except, for, except other, um, other countries are, are starting to do this. You know, I mean, a lot of parents think it's not safe, but we know that children are incredibly low risk. I mean, incredibly low risk. There's also quite a lot of research suggesting, I know Switzerland is looking into this, that uh, actually children aren't particularly carriers. So as long as you didn't have, say, uh, physically vulnerable, say, obese or, or asthmatic uh, teachers or, or teachers perhaps over the age of 60 in the classroom, and, you, you know, and, and again, not all children probably would return we're talking about only a small number of classes returning um this would be as safe as it's possible to be in a workplace well i don't agree with that at all julia the the government is suggesting that the reception and year one children in an infant sector should come back first there are 700 infant schools they haven't i think no i think they've suggested year six come back first no no they've said reception infant and year six so if you take an infant school Half the school is, is, is reception and year, and year one. So how are you going to manage that logistically? How are you going to have that social distancing, which we think is, is absolutely critical? You may well be right about uh, infection levels in children, but there's lots of evidence which shows that children are just as capable of passing on the infection to other children and to adults. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mother's Day is just around the corner, and it's time to pamper the special moms in your life. In what better way than with Osea's limited edition skincare sets, featuring clean, vegan, cruelty-free products that are safe for your skin and the planet. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been making seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. This Mother's Day, Osea has two limited edition sets, perfect for gifting or keeping for yourself. Their Golden Glow Body Set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for silky, smooth, glowing skin, while the Glow and Go Facial Set has everything she needs to achieve spa-level results at home. They're so beautiful, you can skip the wrapping. 
For a limited time, you can save up to $48 on Osea sets, plus get free shipping. That's Mother's Day made easy. Pamper the moms in your life and get 10% off your first order site-wide with code MOM at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code MOM.